What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 16 DFS MVP podcast. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of 444, uh, director of DFS at 444.com with my host, Mr. John Daigle, my matching host, Mr. John Daigle, uh, here for an always interesting Week 16. Not only is it uh, the week of Christmas, things are a little hectic with everyone traveling, but uh, also got a a, a funky slate with Saturday slate, uh, main slate, Sunday, three-game slate. Uh, Dago, how are you holding up? Not planned to match with you for a holiday bit, but also so late in the week of a week where you had to bring the energy that not tired or I'm too tired to change right now. So it's going to be fine, but yeah, a, a fun slate on Saturday, lots of different directions to go here. It's which we'll talk about, especially because a majority of builds are just doing the same exact thing, which makes it an awesome tournament week and, and a terrible one for cash games. Or at least if you know what you're doing in cash, you're going to have a lot of one V ones or basically just splitting rake yep. here because everyone's doing the same exact thing, but excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually do think it's a fantastic tournament slate for um, exactly the reason you said, and we'll definitely talk about a little of the theory on that. Uh, before we get to that, reminder for everybody that the DFS subscription price at 4 for 4 is down to $24. Reminder that we have DFS that goes through Super Bowl. So, I mean, still a solid uh, almost two months of action left if we count the next three weeks plus playoffs. Uh, tons of slates when we get into the playoffs. The slates are really funky with the two and the three game slates. So um, lot, lots of different slates left to play uh, that gets you access to the four for four discord that we're always discussing here. Reminder that if you are already signed up with the main slate being tomorrow discord show Saturday morning, 1045 AM Eastern time, not Sunday will be around Sunday, but that's Christmas morning. So can't make too many promises, but the main show tomorrow instead of Sunday. But before we get into this breakdown this podcast like we did last week we'll start with the short slate so we'll jump ahead to sunday first and just talk a little bit about that slate actually kind of a similar setup to the slate we had last week where we have this popular game early the the big uh, assumed high scoring game early um a big dud in the middle for lunch and then a late night which could go a couple ways at least one team with a good um outlook there uh, namely the Buccaneers. So um, let's talk about this games and, and I don't know how you're attacking it, what you think unique ways are to attack it. We could just spend um, a couple of minutes on it because there's a full write-up on four for four with ownership projections, with leverage scores. Um, but all of the ownership or most of the ownership is going to be in this early Dolphins Packers game. And rightfully so. I think it's a lot like last week where it's a, this one's not even a two team slate. It's a three not two game slate. It's a three team slate and that first matchup and then the bucks and how you played those two ones, especially with so many players questionable for the Broncos. Latavius Murray was DMP all week and they said it's precautionary, but we'll see that that's enough to, to where I don't have confidence in Murray. I don't want to play Murray ever anyway. So especially on a three game slate where he's going to be chalk, I definitely don't mind fading him there, but we'll see what happens. Nonetheless, like the Vikings Colts, in getting there because Josh Allen had 300 yards and four touchdowns through the air last Saturday and was not in winning lineups because no one came along with him. The key was still to, as we talked about, onslaughting six, seven players from Vikings Colts. And I think it's very much the same onslaughting Packers, Dolphins, either side. Uh, Even the Packers, you can make a case because 
since week 10, which we thought and probably still is a blip on the radar against a Cowboys defense that is injured and less impactful than we initially thought, at least that they were compared to the first half of the year. Since week 10, though, the Packers are still third in EPA per dropback, no, third in EPA per play and sixth in EPA per dropback. They're moving the ball quite efficiently. And now they get a warm shootout scenario in comparison to the rest of the league and all these games where totals are sinking this one, both team totals and the overall game total just continues increasing. So yeah, I, I definitely want six, seven pieces of this one. That can be an onslaught of Aaron Rodgers since it's, you think you think it's Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon through the air, not to mention taking chances on your, your Christian Watson's Randall Cobbs, uh, George Kittle last week went nuts against the, no, no, no. Dawson Knox went nuts against the Dolphins. Easy spot. The Titans always go nuts. So here's Robert Tunyon. You can easily play on a short slate, especially because tight end and this slate is ugly. I think it's three guys yep. between Tunyon yeah, and two of them, and two of them are on the on the worst game of the slate. So yeah, uh, and 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 honestly, like if you told me to rank them, I think Kate Otten is probably the second best play for tournaments given that it is also the Cardinals who everyone does well against. And it's so ugly that I don't even care about KDOT and splitting routes with Cam Brate. It's like, I'll just play the one that I know has the higher ceiling, especially when you're trying to get unique around Brady. So yeah, I think that's an option. Uh, being unique around Brady, whether that be getting off of him with both Rashad White and Leonard Fournette in the same lineup, whether it be Brady with Russell Gage, who's only 3,700 and Gage, we've now seen. I don't know Julio Jones' practice status just yet. Like, we don't know if he's going to play. I believe he was limited all week. But with Julio out five games this year, Russell Gage is a 16.5% target share. So, Gage has come to life whenever Julio Jones has been ruled out. And then in that one also, Marquise Brown is questionable. So, if Brown is out, like Greg Dortch is 3K, no one will play him, even on a short slate. And I would imagine he takes over the slot role since he's kind of been pigeonholed out of the lineup since the last – couple of weeks it's been Robbie Anderson DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown in three wide set so yeah that's kind of the the unique way to play it I would get my defense exposure from Rams and Broncos I would not play the Bucks since they're going to be the highest rostered you can kind of do whatever you want with lineups too so everyone can afford them and as we saw last week on a short slate defenses you just never play the chalk like play the randomness game and that's why the Colts we're in winning lineup. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with it. Yeah. I, I think like last week, the decision is onslaught early or not onslaught early. Um, last week, it, it, if from a scoring perspective, it looked like it should be onslaught early, but then a bunch of random players scored. Obviously that um, doesn't help what we think is going to happen. The in, at least on the Miami side, like we just don't have that They're They're, Touch and target share is so concentrated, especially if Jeff Wilson is still out, that it's basically just three guys to pair with Tua. Um, like, I guess you hope Trent Shirtfield gets a, a touchdown if you play him, something like that on such a short slate. He's in play. But um, actually, our guy, Sharp Clark, in the betting section on 4 for 4 did a really nice write-up on why he thinks Miami can struggle and why he likes the Packers' side of that game. So like you said, if if you are onslaughting that game, I think a, a unique way to play it is to play Aaron Rodgers, uh, throw in a Romeo Dobbs who should be under 20%, which is really low on a slate like this, um, throw in an A.J. Dillon who even though him and Aaron Jones are in a, a virtual perfect timeshare over the last month, uh, Aaron Jones might see three times as much ownership um, at a higher salary. So there's a lot of leverage there. So there's actually a lot of leverage on the Packers side, whether you want to onslaught that or you want to um, 
just kind of uh, play a balance throughout the slate and just pick contrarian pieces from there. That second game, I mean, I I don't like the running backs are just going to get ownership because it's a short slate and, and they're getting most of the work, but the game is just disgusting. I think the way you play it is um, you play like one, maybe two pieces from that game, not including the defenses and just hope that they absorb, uh, you know, like a Jerry Judy of Cortland Sutton is out um, play that at his 25% uh, ownership or whatever. And, you know, hope he gets seven for 70 and maybe finds the end zone, but we're, we're just not contrarian stacking that game. Um, there's no way I'm using the quarterbacks from that game. And then the late game, it's crazy because James Conner is going to be the chalk running back because he's 90% touch show. The only guy on the slate that sees that with Trace McSorley starting. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. If you look at four for four, look at DraftKings, our wide receiver projections. I think there's 28 on a three game slate. I think we're projecting um, 28 wide receivers on the whole slate. You have to go to wide receiver 14 to get to an Arizona pass catcher in our ceiling value score. So half of the pass catchers um, have better ceiling value scores than DeAndre Hopkins or um, or uh, Hollywood Brown, assuming Hollywood plays. So it's ugly there. Um, if, if you're playing one of them to be contrarian, it, it's a complete um, complete dart throw. Um, I, you're I will say- no. Per- go ahead. I'll say I will say though, if you ask me like which one is good chalk, uh, it's crazy to say, but I, I do kind of think Cam Akers is the one I would suck up. I mean, they just they just eliminated last week Malcolm Brown and Kyron Williams all together. Like Cam Akers had 15 to 17 touches, and we ex- like it could be positive game script for either. Like Russell Wilson coming back means absolutely nothing. Like he could still very yeah, well right. be the worst quarterback in this game. Yeah. Um, Aaron Donald is, um, uh, they, they, they shut him down for the rest of the season. So that's, that's worth noting if we're thinking about how the defenses play there. Um, but it's, I, I don't think it's going to be, um, I, like you said, I don't think Denver just gets a huge boost. Uh, I do like the Russell Gage play. Um, 12 targets last week with Julio out. Um, can we count on him leading the team in targets? Probably not, but him and Kate Otten are probably the most obvious contrarian plays there. And then um, if you can figure out who is going to be more popular between Fournette and Rashad White, um, that could be uh, that could be the, the big uh, game changer in terms of how this slate swings. Um, Fournette has out-touched White in two of the last three games. I think the public probably still just likes white more. Um, but I, I think they probably end up cannibalizing each other's ownership. Uh, I think it ends up in the mid twenties for both of them. I do like the double running back play there though. It makes sense. Um, any, any last thoughts on, on that Sunday slate before we uh, jump on to the decision point for this week? Nope. Just simply. I, I still think the play here is uh yeah. Onslaughting the first. And then just like we said last week, Definitely running backs along with your quarterback. So like Kirk Cousins and Dalvin yeah, Cook yeah. got there, for example. Um, I had Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor in a lot of lineups. Didn't work out, obviously, for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, if you had told me beforehand that that game totals 37 points, uh, math in my head on the spot, um, or no, 73 points, I would have said, okay, well, yeah, of course I'm double stacking the Colts here. So, yeah, I'm just onslaughting and definitely – even if it's Brady and both Bucks running backs, like yeah, you're playing the running backs with the quarterbacks in this slate. Yeah, and and the gross the gross chalk is like two two Atwell is just gonna get like 
ownership because he's the pay down option that's getting a lot of targets. I think it's um, a pretty easy fade there. He did. I agree. If it's if it's high ownership, it's, that's what it looks like right now. Um, he did have a couple drops, so it's like that was Tutu Atwell's fault because he's Tutu Atwell. But there's there's meat on the bone there if he comes in under roster. The thing is, right now we're not projecting him to. So Russell Gage, Greg Dorch, if Marquise Brown is out, those are kind of my pivots, and that's great because if you take Russell Gage's salary down to the last game, that's late swappable for Greg Dorch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the main slate. Rewind to Saturday from Sunday with our really unique 10-game slate uh, and talk about our decision point this week. I think we're probably on the same page with what we think is swinging the slate. Um, basically, we've got three games with uh, with decent uh, over-unders totals and the rest of the country being smoked by uh, horrible weather and people pretty scared of playing in that weather. And uh, if you look at passing props across the industry, uh, seems like the industry agrees on that. But uh, what is your decision point for this week on the main slate? Do you think Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey are good chalk? Because the roadmap right now for a majority of tournament lineups is spin down at quarterback, Gardner Minshew in particular, and pay up thus for the two highest ceilings on the board, and that is Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey. But, and this is not just me saying it for contrarian purposes, I do think it's easy to punch holes in both, uh, especially with now starting Titan center Ben Jones out for the season, just put on IR, and that's the third Titans starting offensive lineman now to go on IR. The Texans are the Titans also averaging only 15 and a half points per game over the last month of the season, whereas the Texans are playing good defense, and I don't know why, but they are fighting for Lovey Smith in every single game here. No offensive touchdowns allowed to the Browns three weeks ago, despite losing by two scores, because those were all special team and offensive gaffes. And then, of course, a four-point loss to the Cowboys and just a six-point loss in overtime to the Chiefs. So they're sticking around, and you could argue that at this time of the year, the Texans are the better team than the Titans, especially with Malik Willis under center, too. So you know, we talk about like leverage and there's no better leverage here than flipping the build and instead paying up for quarterback and getting off of expensive running backs. Christian McCaffrey, of course, as well. He is healthy. He was moved from the final injury report, but Kyle Shanahan did have an ominous statement in the media saying like injured guys that are like banged up. He's definitely going to limit them and just be cautious of them because they know they're not playing for every, anything, even though the number one seed in the NFC still is up for grabs. But it seems like they're just content pretty much to stick with number two. So, you, again, you can you could paint a few pick a few pole, holes here. Yeah, th to answer your question, I do agree with you that um, that is kind of what swings the slate this week. I, I wrote down weather slash running back ownership from my decision point because uh, the weather is pushing everything to the running backs on the slate. I, this might be the highest on, on both FanDuel and DraftKings, the highest cumulative running back ownership I've ever put out. Um, if you add up the, uh, the, the flex numbers, it looks like on FanDuel that running back, uh, built three running back builds could come in like close to 80% on, on DraftKings, um, close to 70%, which is absolutely unheard of. Like a couple weeks ago, I, I was projecting over 50%. It came in there and that was really, really high. Usually it's around 30%, uh, three running back builds on DraftKings, but because of the weather, 
because there just really aren't that many passing games that are projecting well, which in turn aren't projecting a lot of wide receivers well. Um, and if we look at things like the the passing props, everybody's just assuming, which probably rightly so, that all of these, a lot of these teams are going to be more run heavy than we expect. And, and some of Chris Allen's uh, studies on whether at 4 for 4 um, do suggest that, not necessarily that like passing efficiency is as horrible as we expect, but sometimes play callers just adjust what they'll do because of weather and cold. Um, that's a long way to say that in a vacuum, Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry are good chalk. They are out projecting the field by a pretty hefty margin. The problem is there's so many running backs in play. So many people uh, that are going, so many running backs that are going to be in positions where they can blow up, where their teams are going to be run heavy, where they are favorites. Um, a lot of the work is going to go to them that they're just working against such a big field. And on top of that, if you play Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry together, as you mentioned, you're just falling into this very obvious build that everybody is using. So I think it's probably pretty bad to play them together. Um, I, I think playing one of them with a somewhat contrarian running back is going to be um, enough to, to be different from the field. If you play only one of them and only play two running backs in your lineup, I think that's going to be very contrarian. So I think we just need to be really cognizant. If we play CMC and Derrick Henry together, we're probably falling into, like obviously your players are going to be a little bit different, but there's going to be a lot of overlap. We'll get to that when we go through these um, positions, but this cash game build, which bleeds into tournaments is like this old school, obvious cash game build back in the day. We made money because it, it, it was obvious to us and other people weren't doing it. As you said this week, all the lineups are going to look extremely similar. If you play those two guys together, which is why I do think flipping the build is the best way to make lineups for tournaments this week. Yeah, and there, there's definitely going to be a couple ways to do that, which we'll get into a little bit here. Definitely a lot tomorrow morning on the uh, Discord show. Um, let's get into everyone's favorite segment of the show where we light $25 on fire on Underdog. The Underdog card builder. Um, we are flipping over a new leaf. We're just tailing the Sharps at 4 for 4, Connor um, and Ryan Noonan and getting us on the right side of this. So uh, if we could throw up that underdog um, card there, uh, I have a, a couple spots that those two guys like. Is there anything that you want to look at before I jump on those? No. Uh, go ahead and go with those two, and then I'll make a suggestion yeah. to you. Okay. Um, so Kirk Cousins, um, we'll get into this game. This is the game that um, – uh, a, a lot of everybody is going to like because it's the only dome game. I, I don't know if Dallas is going to keep the roof open. I think they do a lot more than, than you would expect, but uh, Kirk cousins, his passing prop is 274.5. Connor actually likes the under and on other books, we see this line down to 266. So if you're taking the under at 274, you're actually getting some value here. I actually think you agree that this game might be a little overrated. Cousins struggles versus the blitz struggles against man, two things that the Giants do a lot. Uh, do you like the under on that 275 passing prop, 274 and a half? Hey, you're telling me to lean a direction. I do lean the under and I say I'm underweight on that game also for tournament exposure knowing it's going to be the highest roster even if you look at opt even if you look at optimals right now like dude daniel bellinger and dfs is going to be the highest roster tight end this week and imagine that imagine a fifth round rookie ever playing him in tournaments when he's the highest roster 
it's yeah it's I, we insane. have yeah from a from a leverage perspective um there's definitely a lot to be said uh, about fading in this game we'll that we're going to touch on this a lot when we get into the ind individual players but i mean like kirk cousins like the the they could this game could still get there all of the 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 players attached can still get there without cousins going over 300 like justin jefferson and dalvin obviously dalvin on the ground can get there a lot justin jefferson is just like i'll, I'll touch on him more um like the game could still score as we expect without kirk cousins going for for 300 or 400 like he's been doing so i actually think the under is, is a good bet too i agree with connor on that one um and, the other and one it's a little bit going, of a this is going back to dfs but it's a little bit of an issue with dalvin that if people don't play Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry, like the third highest roster running back in the slate is going to be Dalvin Cook. Uh, and, you know, around, around him is Nick Chubb and Ramondre, who are just amazing plays as well. So that that's, um you know, it's the overall game. It's just like, it's just carrying too much for DFS. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, another one that our prop guys like, and uh, taking this one from, um, from Noonan, Devontae's, reception prop is set at five um got bracketed last week against the patriots uh saw renfro and uh waller come back which is probably why his reception prop is down to five but now going against a, a bad pittsburgh secondary um i think Devonte gets right his target share um is going to stay as high as any wide receiver in the league his his down week last week was nine targets so the over on five receptions when it's five and a half six other places i, I think is a pretty good bet i don't love it but i also think the number is fairly low uh adams he had a 23 and a half percent target share in that game and that was his lowest mark since week eight and only the fifth time this year he's registered less than 30 percent of the team's targets and that's we attribute it to Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro being back, but maybe it was just a blip on the radar. He did average 35.8% of Las Vegas' targets uh, without Renfro and Waller the five weeks prior. So I I'm willing to take a chance on a low number like five receptions. All right. Is there another one that you like that you think we throw out a, a three-teamer here? I was looking at our own projections. Look at Terry McLaurin's receiving yards. Steven Yard prop is at 57 and a half, which seems like a pretty sharp line to me. That seems pretty sharp too. Okay, we can avoid it. What about uh, Jarek McKinnon receiving yards? Steven Yards, 21 and a half. That's one touchdown for Jarek McKinnon lately. I, you know, it is explosive. It's volatile, but I do kind of like the over receiving yards here. It's... I still cannot believe DraftKings didn't price him higher than 5,900 because, like, the Seahawks are the optimal matchup for receiving backs as well. Like, literally allowing league highs in yards per target and completion rate to opposing running backs this year. Not to mention that even if you try to squeeze McKinnon out and say, oh, well, like, Nicole Hardman, his absence is why McKinnon is getting these targets underneath all of a sudden. Like it, it seems like Hardman's actually just going to get downgraded and not play this week. It sounds like he's not ready. So there's no reason for me not to think McKinnon is going to finish second or third on team receiving over the last three games. It's Judas Schuster, Kelsey and McKinnon who have over a 20% target share. The rest of the team, no player over 10%. This has become a three man offense. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm into it. Let's let's roll out that three uh that three teamer. I actually like the Chiefs passing game a lot. I think a lot of um there's gonna be a lot of lazy cold weather narrative stuff this week. Um, because it's easy to say that the Chiefs 
are uh, a team that seemingly hasn't been affected by that. Patrick Mahomes has played five games at Arrowhead in his career below uh, freezing uh, temperatures, and he's averaged 40 pass attempts, 310 pass yards, two and a half touchdowns. Um, yeah, basically, Mahomes is going to he's Mahomes is going to Mahomes. That's one of the worst ones. Um, the the Chiefs not being the Chiefs because it's cold. That's definitely one of the worst narratives out there. I, I think there are a couple of bad other, other bad cold narratives out there. Yeah, I think people just throw blanket cold narratives on teams. Um, and which uh, is it, it which it's not even recency bias. That's why it's so odd because like no one learned their lesson from Dolphins Bills. Like this this <laughs> doesn't matter. Like the yeah. win matters. Nothing else. The win matters. Um, and there are a couple games that's some brutal win, but uh, otherwise I think for the most part, we got some spots to exploit. Like uh, the, ja- will- the, Go ahead. the Jaguars Jets game last night, for example, I mean, Trevor Lawrence moved the ball with ease, yeah. like 250 yards, 50 yards rushing and a rushing score. Like that's a QB one. And everyone was benching him for weather. It's like, no, weather doesn't matter. And for, for Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, like they both had drops and they both had bad wide receiver matchups. Um, and then the weather didn't matter for the Jets. Like Zach Wilson was the weather, if that's the case. So, yeah, the, the weather is so bad. I don't know why we do this. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll get that uh, underdog in. If you're watching, get that submitted out before those lines move. Um, if you're getting this on audio, we're trying to turn this over as quick as possible. So hopefully when you get this, this these will still be up. But ideally, you're watching on YouTube and getting these um getting these props in uh i will tweet it out as soon as the show is over so you guys can see that on the twitter if for some reason you missed it on here if you haven't signed up for underdog yet go to 444.com underdog use the promo code 444 when you sign up for a new underdog account that'll get you a free 444 dfs subscription and a 100 deposit match up to 100 best deal in the industry let's move on to the main slate talk about some of those things we just discussed moving on to the position by position picks i just mentioned patrick mahomes how the weather doesn't affect him you like the chiefs and the quarterback in that game this week and when we talk about flipping the bill there's no better way to do it than ignoring gardner Minshew, the (laughs) lowest possible price starting quarterback we can play this week for patrick mahomes the highest priced possible starting quarterback we could play this week. And Mahomes now has 320 yards in eight of his last nine starts. The outlier being the Bengals who own the Chiefs. So it's no shock that they ended up stopping him. And then you just look at the overall landscape of this slate. And despite this cold weather, again, that's a bad narrative. The Chiefs have a 29 and a half point team total, one that's increased throughout the week. And now sits a full field goal and a half, three and a half points over the next closest team on this slate. So even Vegas thinks like nothing stops this train for Kansas City. And then you look and it's just a Seahawks defense and just team overall that's fallen apart the last five games. A lot due to injury, a lot due to their defense, just not being able to stop anyone anymore. But 28 and a half points per game over the last month, 5.9 yards per play. So I think the Chiefs move the ball at will. I think... Although you cannot afford them on FanDuel, like this is this is the difference between people having skin in the game and just saying picks. Like you try building a lineup on FanDuel with Travis Kelsey, who is the third highest priced quarterback on this slate. It is rough, and not saying you can't get there, but like you got to then stuff two cheap players and like 
we don't really have cheap receivers on this slate either. So it's just really tough. But on DraftKings, at least, if you can get there on FanDuel, congratulations. Um, on cash, don't do it. But on DraftKings and tournaments, I do think Travis Kelsey is like the best tournament play possible with Mahomes because you can't fit him. Um, but there are enough confident builds out there on DraftKings, just the way the lineups work out, where I do think you can spin down at running back and then get Kelsey. And if that's the case, like that's the way to go. So yeah, Mahomes-Kelsey combination and tournaments is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I I uh, threw out um, my stat on Mahomes and Cole Leather in Arrowhead. So I obviously um, love him. Um, stacking him with Kelsey is very um, unique, and I actually like the, just the the Chiefs in that game. I don't even think you need to um, game stack that game, even though a lot of people are going to on the DK side because Tyler Lockett is out. I think just playing Mahomes, Kelsey, and then maybe another Chief is probably going to be more unique than trying to bring back. Um, Goodwin or or DK. I think a lot of people are going to do that. Um, you mentioned Minshew, and um, as a podcast that talks about the best values on the slate, uh, I, I'm compelled to at least mention him, uh, maybe for those that haven't been on the site or, or are using this for last minute. Uh, builds Gardner Minshew, 6,100, Fandle, 4,800, DraftKings in that game against Dallas with a total near 48 uh, we have Minshew projected as a top two quarterback on both sides. He's a top value on DraftKings. Anytime you get a sub 5K uh, quarterback on DraftKings, that is viable. He's almost always going to be that top value. I think uh, most people would would ag agree, or at least Gardner Minshew's in the argument, as the best backup quarterback um, in the league. He's going into a spot where Dallas defense has struggled the last couple of weeks. You can argue that uh, the Eagles have the best supporting cast in the league with Dallas Goddard coming back weapons all around him. Uh, we've seen him succeed in these spots before this game should be relatively high scoring. Uh, the game is played indoors again, although Dallas might have the roof open, but still it's, it's going to be a relatively controlled environment in a week where we don't have a lot of that. Uh, he just opens up everything for the cash game builds that we want this week. Uh, again, he's going to be played a lot. He's going to be, he's uh, especially on DraftKings. He's probably going to approach 20% in tournaments. I don't know who he brings along with him uh, in tournaments as far as his patch catchers go, go, or if they all kind of cannibalize each other's ownership. But from a straight value cash game build perspective, uh, Gardner Minshew is the slam dunk play this week. And if he gets... 40 if he gets 35 40 he's so high rostered that that will kill you like but i'm not yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. not scared yeah. of the 35 40 because i it's, think the entire yeah. thesis of playing gardner Minshew in tournaments is asking yourself what you get with the salary he allows you to allocate elsewhere and again we already know everyone is projecting to allocate that salary towards christian mccaffrey and derrick henry so i would just say if you play gardner Minshew in tournaments not that i will be doing it because i think it's too high for a quarterback but if you do do it uh, just look to get unique elsewhere. Maybe, well, yeah, we yeah. have a couple of suggestions. It, we go along here. It gives you, um, it, it gives you the flexibility in a week where you can really leverage that flexibility, really find ways to, whether it's to, to pay up for multiple wide receivers, whether it's to roll out a balance build, whether it's to pay up for a Travis Kelsey, um, there are lots of ways to get unique this week. So I, I don't think Minshew's off the board in tournaments, um, but just be very cognizant that just don't like fall into those optimized lineups that you're going to find in lineup generators with him. And I'm worried too for Minshew in tournaments that it's so chalky that he will naturally steam the stacking partners as well. 
like cheap Dallas Goddard, AJ Brown. I worry that they won't get like crazy, but I think we could maybe see like 12 to 15% AJ Brown, which yeah. would maybe not even get there. He brings along, Hurts. If he brings along someone, I think it's AJ Brown. I think people will assume that Devontae Smith and Goddard are competing with each other because of the splits we've seen with, with Smith um, compared to with or without Goddard. And just AJ's been balling. So I, I think AJ's the one that gets steamed. Nice. I like that. Um, you also like a running back in this game. I do. And that's because the leverage off of Gardner Minshew, in my opinion, is Miles Sanders. When I uh, doing just initially research and usage from week 15 off the top of my head, I told myself, like, when I was going into DraftKings for the first time to look at salaries at the beginning of the week, I said, oh, it's a really good week to pay up for Eagles defense. Like, 3700 3800 especially with Jalen Hurts out. Like, that's the play here. No big deal. I can work some salary and pay up for a unique defense. Then I look, and they made them 2200 And uh, that's crazy because the Eagles are the better team, and Jalen Hurts is not worth three points in this game at this time of the year. So that the not only were the Eagles – a point and a half dogs initially with Hertz. They got bet down by dumb money to six point dogs and then got steamed back up. They're sitting at four and a half now, which is a little more correct. But the fact is that Miles Sanders, after a week where in small field, that dude closed his 32% rostered and the spy and double spy and the 222 on FanDuel last week. And now, like, suddenly no one wants to play him whenever everyone's playing the quarterback. That makes zero sense because the Eagles very easily could win this game. Like, Dak, nine interceptions in the last six weeks. I think the Eagle-Sanders paydown correlation off of Minshew in the passing game, it's the premier time to do it. And there's no – but it's just the perfect week for it. Yeah, um, over the last six weeks, the Cowboys are 25th in explosive rush rate allowed. Now they're going to be without Leighton Vanderish, uh, who hurt his neck last week. Um, Miles Sanders is going to be a play that, like, I, we, we talk about leverage spots um, a lot. I think one thing that gets overlooked is, like, where can you get, like, uh, the most bang for your bucks in terms of leverage. So not just a price pivot, not just a flip the build, not just leverage off your teammate, but how do you get kind of like all of these things rolled into one? And Miles Sanders is that because you're getting leverage off the Eagles passing game. You're flipping the build by not paying up for um, an expensive running back on a, uh, a game where everybody's expecting or the they are the underdog um, on the team. So I like that play. I wrote up Sanders as I actually called him one of the best contrarian running backs on the slate, if not the best contrarian running back on the slate. Do you have any um, interest in pairing Miles Sanders with Gardner Minshew? I mean, they have to go, the, the, the offense has to go ballistic for that, right? I don't think it's the worst idea. My only concern, because I see that question in the chat, would be that last week, the entire reason why Sanders busted was because he didn't get his first touch until 624 remaining in the second quarter because Kenneth Gainwell was playing over him and passing game script. Like the idea was that even Nick Sirianni talked about it after the game, the bears run single high safety man coverage, and they wanted to give Devonta and AJ Brown every chance possible at 50, 50 balls. That was their plan. Anytime they saw one safety at the top and also NFL next gen stats charted AJ Brown, 143 of his career high receiving yards that day came against single high safety. That was literally intention. Whereas, if it's a running game script, then I would imagine it's all Sanders. So I don't think you can correlate them, but it wouldn't be shocking if I looked up and like the winning lineup had that because it's so unique. Yeah. Um, 
I that that actually is um yeah, that's that's what I'm I'm hoping for too. Uh we talked about the expensive running backs. Um the two big ones, Derrick Henry and Chris, Christian McCaffrey. Um I wanted to highlight Christian McCaffrey here at 9400 FanDuel, 8800 on DraftKings. Um everybody's talking about you tweeted about everybody's talking about the Derrick Henry splits uh, versus Houston. So um, who needs to talk about that? Christian McCaffrey, as you highlighted in your article uh, this morning, 32 touches without Debo last week. I think that's very important to note. Six-plus targets in two of his three games with Brock Purdy, 100-plus rushing yards in consecutive games. I mean, you mentioned the the talk about possibly being limited, but, um, I, I mean, the ceiling here I think is unmatched. This is like 10 10k christian mccaffrey usage that we're seeing we have projected as a top two value on both sites and as i talked about this is like an old school if you played dfs back in in the draft street days um it was jamming Le'Veon bell damn it jamming david johnson in cash games and just figure out everything else in print money and it's kind of the same setup the first time we've had this in years where you just jam in CMC and Derrick Henry and cash games and figure out everything else. I, I think it it's really that simple in cash this week. I do also think this game between the commanders and 49ers, although the total continues sinking, I do think it's like one of the sneakier game stack possibilities, whether or not you play the quarterbacks at all. Um, there are quite a few interesting players in this game. And remember, it's one of only two games in late swapping position with the Eagles-Cowboys. Mm, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, especially especially because CMC is going to be popular. Um, we both wrote up 49ers players that we like this week. So there, that is um, definitely and tournament leverage. I, I told you to look up uh, uh, Terry McLaurin's receiving yards because McLaurin, 26.5% target share, in the three games that Taylor Heineke has gone over 30 pass attempts this year, uh, which he, ha he hasn't done in six of his last seven games. The, the outlier was that 70-minute tie against the Giants, but we at least have three instances of it. And Terry McLaurin has finished with 73 yards and or a touchdown in all of those games. So I, I do think it's a sneaky spot for McLaurin and a 49er run back. All right. Uh, moving on to wide receivers. Um a game that has some cold, but I, I, in terms of the cold weather games, probably one of the most mild games. Um, you like a player on the home side. I think the Panthers-Lions game may be another fraudulent cold game. And more importantly, we know exactly how the Panthers are going to attack them because Detroit not allowed a single player over 75 rushing yards since their Week seven by they've been one of the best run defenses over the second half of the league, but opponents also know that. And that's why in this span, since week eight, the Lions are seeing 37 pass attempts per game from opposing quarterbacks. And we know where the ball is going to go. Uh, more importantly now, these last three games with Sam Darnold, DJ Moore leads the team in routes run from the slot and increased rate, th nearly 30% of his routes from the slot. And that's where the Lions permit a league high 10 and a half yards per target. So every year, every week, last week, we tried to do it with Elijah Moore, but we knew we lost that whenever Zach Wilson was under center. We tried to attack the Lions from the slot. And now it's DJ Moore. Uh, this Panthers defense is also bottom five in completion rate on throws 10 plus yards downfield. So if we can pretty much guarantee the volume for DJ Moore, we can also guarantee that it's a good spot. So for better or worse, I think he's at least going to be pelted with targets from Sam Darnold. 
and let's coin toss it and see what happens because it's an amazing matchup. Yeah, I I like this game for um for mini stacks. I also uh, I think just the the primary wide receivers in this game are really good plays. I think in all of these um cold weather games, these primary receivers, these alpha players are really good place to target because we get a lot of one thing I tweeted yesterday is like it, it seems obvious, but fantasy projections, Vegas totals they're accounting for weather. So don't double count when you're trying to figure out who you should be playing. Like there, there's still going to be some points scored. The guys that get huge touch or target shares are going to continue to do that in the cold weather. So yeah, the teams might be scoring 17 points, 20 points, but they're going to um, feed their guys still. There's still going to be fantasy points to be scored. So the DJ Moore's of the world are the guys that could still hit in these spots. Like, you know, just because it's cold doesn't mean DJ isn't going to go for 101. Um, it's very much his range of outcomes. Yeah, I like it. And you mentioned the primary receivers. Like, no one's playing Amon Ross St. Brown since they theoretically can't get up to him since they're paying up for running backs. Like I said, flip the bill. Yeah, that's uh, that's the move. And, and that you won't be flipping the bill per se because this guy's going to be owned. But Justin Jefferson, 9,300 on both sides in that. He'll be less uh, owned in comparison to normal weeks even though this he's is exactly, carrying the highest projected ceiling. This is exactly why I suggested him because I think in um in a lot of weeks like in this spot Justin Jefferson might be 35%. He's 25% this week. The totals actually moving up in this game. I know we threw some shade at Kirk Cousins. It's a little bit in the underdog um portion but uh Justin Jefferson is seeing so much of the target share that even if if um Cousins does only throw for 250. Justin Jefferson can very much get there. Uh, leads the league 13.3 targets per game over the last month. One of five players over 30% target share over the last month. New York is one of two teams that ranks in the bottom half of schedule adjusted points allowed to every single skill position. The Vikings are throwing at the seventh highest rate over expectation over the last month. And if you play one of CMC or Derrick Henry, you can fit Justin Jefferson pretty easy. If you play neither of them, um, you can definitely get him in there. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I, I just think that he is, again, when we don't have, like him, um, Amon Ra, I guess Jamar against the Patriots, although I don't love that. Like we don't have these like um, projecting blow-up spots. So I do think Jefferson can lap the field at 22-ish percent. Um, I, I just mentioned Jamar. Well, let's talk about a wide receiver on the other side, actually. Jacoby Myers returned last week from the concussion protocol and tied for the team leading target six, the third most routes among all New England's players. And that was actually his lowest route rate in a game all year, which suggests that he was actually limited in his first game back, even though the opportunity and the volume was still there as if he was the team's number one receiver. And so I expect his usage to grow back to leading the team in routes run instead of Tyquan Thornton this week against the Bengals. And that's important since Cincinnati is the team allowing the third most yards per target from the slot where Jacoby Myers' primary plays. So if you have any Bengals skinny stacks, and I think they're, I think this game is pretty live because, again, it's a, it's a weather game where it's only cold, it's not windy, and it's volatile. Just like Joe Burrow every single week, it's always volatile because Zach Taylor could easily screw the situation up. But New England's defense has been so bad that if Zach Taylor does not screw this up, 
this one could pop off. So I do think Jacoby Myers, even in paying down, is pretty sneaky since no one's really getting to him. And the argument, honestly, the the con against him is that, yes, Mac Jones has been abysmal. And I don't blame it all on Mac Jones. It's a lot of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. But Jacoby Myers is just an amazing spot if he gets the volume at full health. There were some uh, reports earlier in the week that uh, Belichick was asked about Jones starting the rest of, of the season. He was non-committal. So is this like a, a squeaky wheel back? Jones comes out and throws for 303 just because so of that. Myers is a 30% target share from Bailey Zappi whenever they played together. So no, like I, if Bailey Zappi's under center, I'll play Jacoby Myers. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for my second wide receiver, I didn't write down a wide receiver. I wrote down New York Giants wide receivers um, just because I wanted to talk to you about this spot because this game is going to be artificially inflated in terms of ownership because it's the only indoor game. Um, it's the high total game. Again, I mean, we've talked about it already ad nauseum, the weather and everybody avoiding all the other passing games on this slate. I projected all of these pass catchers somewhat moderate, moderately. You you mentioned Bellinger, who, especially on DraftKings, might be the most rostered wide receiver on the slate. I think he will. And then we and then we have Hodges, Darius Slayton, and Richie James. I projected their ownership somewhat moderately. I've seen people talk about like Richie James is going to be the mega chalk, which he's not projecting well, like in terms of fantasy points. And there's no player on the Giants that dominates targets. Over the last month, nobody, they have five players averaging at least four targets per game. No players averaging more than six targets per game. No player in the last month has seen 10 targets in a game. So, like, where is this Richie James chalk the obvious play coming from? Is that like, I, I can see if he's a sharp play, sure. But like, is the public just going to look at this and just click Richie J? Like, where, what, is, what is this? I think it's only because he's 200 cheaper. Well, no, no, no. Because he is 3,900 on DraftKings yeah. where you get yeah. the points for his receptions. And Darius Slayton is 5,200. Um, yeah. But I will sell you, try and sell you on the fact that I think Isaiah Hodgins is better play than Richie, than Richie James at 200 more anyhow like no matter the hundred percent um if, if the reason i just the, and that's exactly why i brought this up because if we have all these guys where sure like you know some of them they're, they're not getting the same types of targets different value targets but if all of these guys are going to see five to seven targets and one of them is going to be 30 percent, and one of them is going to be nine percent like what are we even doing here this is so, crazy to me and over the last month of the season, without Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton leads the team with a 20.1% target share. Isaiah Hodges is right behind him with a 16.8% target share. And that's important to note because those two players are also relative to everyone else in the Giants, Daniel Bellinger and Richie James. Those other two who are getting more volume and money opportunity inside the red zone. Like Hodgins, since Wandale Robinson got injured actually has a hundred percent of the team's end zone targets as well. Then I think it's a good enough reason that if you play Daniel Jones, you know, to play Darius Slayton who has accounted for 59% of Daniel Jones targets, 20 yards downfield since he entered the rotation in week four and Hodgins over James and Bellinger. Um, and Darius Slayton, you may say only a big play specialist. And I agree, but you can also say, We've seen so many times this year 
where Brian Dable calls the game based on the weakness of the defense. He changes it up every single week. And so you can see them coming out and specifically attacking downfield much more often than usual. And if that's the case, it all goes to Slayton. So I would go Slayton and Hodgins easily with Daniel Jones over James and Bellinger. All right. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I just like, I, I obviously, as far as ownership projections go, like, always do my due diligence and look as much around the industry as I can um, to get everything as accurate as possible. And like, that was just completely throwing me off. I, I still think at 3,900 Richie Slate makes, uh, I'm sorry, Richie James makes sense um, in cash game builds. Cause we do want to get up to CMC and, and, and Derek Henry, but um, on DraftKings at four for four in, in that same game, KJ Osborne actually has basically the same ceiling value score as Richie James at like five times less ownership. So that's worth noting on, on FanDuel Darius Slate is $1,100 more than Richie James and for, for still giving him a better ceiling value score. Uh, so tonight I'm, I'm going to go back through and, and see, I mean, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll give Richie James the high ownership projection if I need to, because um, we want the ownership projection to be accurate, but I definitely do not agree with it at all. Um, Let's talk about Daniel Bellinger. Sure. The opportunity is why he is the cash game quarterback on DraftKings. I actually think he's kind of live on Fandle 2 at 4,700 just because the disparity, the margin between him and Hawkinson is 6K over there, right? Yeah. So at 1,300 on Fandle is actually quite a bit. Usually the difference is, is much more thinner than that to, to, to play a Bellinger on Fandle. But season high, 98% of snaps last week. And more importantly, season high and route participation, 88% of routes on Daniel Jones dropbacks. And then you look up and it's indoors among a game, not indoors. And the Vikings are allowing the 11th most schedule adjusted fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. So a good spot as well. Again, you're not playing 25% Daniel Bellinger in tournaments, but he's a cash game option. Uh, and I think even flipping the build at tight end and going Kelsey, even if you have Geno, like I think Geno with the Goodwin and DK Metcalf, and then Kelsey is a better way to go here than Daniel Bellinger in tournaments. And if we agree that uh, in cash games that CMC Derrick Henry is the build, then you're not getting Travis Kelsey. If we're not getting Travis Kelsey, it's a Travis Kelsey or punt week, especially in cash games. Like there, there's some middling guys that make sense tournaments with ceilings, but in cash games, Travis Kelsey, go ahead. Feel free to punt your you're tied in in tournaments as well. If you're not getting up to Kelsey yeah. with, with your quarterback, like, um, yeah. you know, if you play Joe Burrow, go Mitchell Wilcox. If you play sure. Gardner Minshew, go Dallas Goddard. If you play Gino yeah. again, it's Kelsey makes sense in that build, but you can also go Fant and, uh, chiefs running back and Juju instead. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm just correlating with my tight end this, this week in particular with my quarterback. Yeah, and and my my point was going to be that if you're going to punt, like don't alligator arm the punt. If you look at the the punt options, the seven four K options, like we got Noah Fant projecting okay, but he's in a tight end share with Will Disley, which I just don't. I'm not I'm not interested. Um, we got Jordan Akins projecting okay, but it's the Houston passing game, and Brandon Cooks might play, so we don't love that. So Bellinger at thirty three hundred. We just talked about punting those wide receiver that that pass catching core. If we're going to punt a position, I'd much rather be punting tight end because we're already punting the position. So let's just leverage the whole damn offense and, and throw Bellinger in there instead of the other guys. That's the way to do it. Um, the middle tier guys that I do like are in the same game. Uh, Dallas Goddard and Dalton Schultz. Uh, I just wrote Dalton Schultz here down because uh, I, I think compared to Philadelphia, I have a lot less um, trust 
in the widers, the secondary wide receivers on the Cowboys than I do on the Eagles. I mean, after CD Lamb, um, Noah Brown, I mean, sure, he caught touchdowns and, and last week he had a good game, but um, not running as many routes as Gallup. Gallup, his targets uh, fluctuate just wildly. And then you throw T.Y. Hilton in the mix, and I just think it makes the uh, wide receiver room really gross beyond C.D. Lamb, whereas Dalton Schultz, 6.2 targets per game since the bye. He is a top two tight end in the 4-for-4 four four, uh, receiver breakout model, second in expected fantasy points per game among all tight ends over the last three weeks. And I do think if uh, there are tight ends that get steamed, I think it's Bellinger uh, or TJ Hawkinson. Um, Schultz, he'll get moderate ownership, but he's not the one that's going to get up to like 15, 16, 17%. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's kind of funky to fit him in cash games. He might work, but definitely in tournaments. Um I think that should be a relatively unique piece of the of the game, and and I think uh, if Kelsey doesn't uh, go nuclear, I, I think Schultz is the guy that has a, a good chance to have a pretty good leg up on the field. I think at least on the main slate, um, tight end one is very much in his range of outcomes. Dak is really cheap too. Not that he may enter my player pool, but he's really cheap for offense that just put up thirty four points last week. Yeah, I mean you can. You can go Dak, CD, Dalton Schultz pretty comfortably um, in a game where they're in a week where there aren't a lot of high scoring games and their their salary is moderate, but it's going to get you off of Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry double builds. And they're, I mean, none of their ownership is going to be high. So that's going to be a unique double stat combo. Um, your defense surprised me. So tell me about it. Yeah, I've already talked about Eagles. One of my favorite cheap defenses. My other favorite cheap defense is the Texans. Um, that's, in my opinion, one of two ways to get leverage off of Derrick Henry this week. Again, Titans missing three starting offensive linemen there, and the Texans are just playing better easily right now at this point of the season. They could very easily just stack the box and say, since Malik Willis is going to run, since Derrick Henry is going to run, we dare you to beat us through the air. We'll go man covers the entire time, and Malik Willis won't be able to beat them. So I, I just think the Texans are absolutely live here to – to just destroy the Titans and, and not allow a single point. So it makes them a great play. Um, I think this is a really interesting week for defenses because uh, home defenses, home favorite defenses also happen to be uh, the few games that we're targeting for scoring. One of those is the Chiefs and the Seahawks. The Chiefs are the biggest favorite of the week, 10-point favorites at home in sub-freezing conditions. And a 10-point favorite, they're already a good salary value, 4,200 Fandle, 2,900 DK. Being favored by that much at a, a middling salary uh, is already very attractive. In a lot of weeks, that will make them chalky. They're not going to be chalky. They're going to see very moderate ownership. They're top five in adjusted sack rate, the Chiefs are. Seattle's bottom 10 in adjusted sack rate allowed. Um, so this is a spot where, I mean, value, ownership value, 10-point favorites, give it to me. I like it. All right, that uh, wraps up week 16. As a reminder, the Discord show is tomorrow, Saturday, Christmas Eve, 10.45 a.m. If you are in Discord on Christmas morning, you might get a couple messages from us, but uh, chances are um, we're, we're going to be celebrating, um, maybe nursing a Christmas Eve hangover, who knows. Um, but I uh, can't promise you anything on Christmas morning, but we will be there tomorrow to break down that main slate. If you are looking for um, more of the breakdown on the Sunday slate than we talked about uh, here, 
that breakdown that is on the site on 444 does have full ownership and uh, projections and leverage scores. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, only 24 bucks will get you access to that show in the morning on Discord, as well as access to all of the content tools projections through Super Bowl week. If you don't want to pay for the $24 and you haven't signed up for Underdog yet, you can just get a DFS subscription for free. All you have to do is go to 444.com slash underdog and sign up for a new account for that free DFS sub. Use the promo code 444, and they'll also give you a 100% deposit match up to $100. If you want to give us a nice little holiday gift, um, please give us a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. It helps out a ton. If you're watching on YouTube, please like the video. Please subscribe to the 444 channel. It goes way further than you know, and it doesn't cost you one buck. And if you want to uh, follow us more, Daigle is at NotJDaigle on Twitter. 444 is at 444Football. I'm at TJ Hernandez. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate, we hope you guys have a good one. Uh, safe travels out there. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you next week.